Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally go a little bit off topic. My name is Scott Cowie, I'm a drummer turned comedy singer songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people but more often than not it will be fellow musicians focusing on their careers and lives within arguably the greatest art form in the world and you get this for free each and every Thursday here at scottkiwi.com and now we're on iTunes please subscribe, rate, review, maybe give us five stars and for now enjoy the show Guest this week in the podcast, the legendary Carol Kay. Part of the Reckoning crew and of course other associated acts include The Beach Boys, Phil Spector, The Doors, Richie Valens, Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, Glenn Campbell, Sonny and Cher, Joe Cocker, Barbara Streisand, Ray Charles, Frank Zappa, Ike and Tina Turner, Johnny Mathis, Simon and Garfunkel, The Righteous Brothers, The Buckinghams, Gary Lewis and The Playboys, The Monkees, Elvis Presley, Joe Pass, amongst many others. An absolutely amazing resume, an amazing amount of people that she's played with generally. I'm joined right now with Barry Caulfield, of course, our co-host. Barry, your thoughts on Carol Kate? Absolutely tremendous, Scott. Is, is Sting say that's his, his favourite bass player? That's what he says. Jacob Pistorius learned from her book, of course. Paul McCartney's favourite bass player is Carol Kay. Largely unknown to the general public, Barry, it's got to be said, but how funky and how groovy can Carol Kay play? She, aye, and she, she's got everything under her fingers. Oh, I, I've variety of styles under her fingers I love the Beach Boy stuff I loved it all it was great she's a really really good player really brilliant influential majorly influential no doubt about that Barry no doubt it's interesting to think and I challenge anybody to come back with an answer to this I don't think there is anybody walking the face of this earth that's played on more hit records than Carol Kay. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's a more successful session musician that's ever recorded music that's more successful than Carol. All those acts that I listed earlier, it's amazing to think that she's played either guitar or bass with those acts. A phenomenal career. So let's get straight down to it with the interview right now. I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with Carol Kay. How are you, Carol? Hi, Scott. How are you doing? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm all right on this nice spring day over here. Yeah, I'm okay as well. I'm doing good. And I have been on your website. I've been doing my research. And the list is endless. The amount of people that you've played with and recorded with is quite ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it, it was just a lot of work. And it was a, a, a surprise because, you know, when I was a jazz um, guitar player back in the 50s you know I was perfectly happy to work in the clubs you know you you didn't earn a big living or anything uh so you either had to marry somebody that worked or you 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 got a day job yourself that's what I did but but the bebop was fun and it was heavy you know now all of a sudden you notice that clubs started to close down and then they would reopen as rock clubs so so about that time some fellow walked in the jazz club and he said well I need you to do a, a, a date for me with Sam Cooke. I never heard of Sam Cooke or anything. And so the next thing I know, I mean, I was on, on the record date, I'm, I mean, because I was a guitar player, you know, so had I been a drummer or a sax player or something, I don't think I'd have gotten in the studio work. But I, I was really uh, re- reluctant to go in the studio work because I heard 
that once you start doing studio work, then your jazz career was over. Well, it looked like it was over anyway because the clubs were shutting down and then, then, and then they were reopening as rock clubs. So instead of fighting, fighting that, we all joined them. The, those of us that weren't into heavy drugs and stuff like that, you know, because you, you don't do studio work on drugs. No, I mean, they won't have that in studio work, at least not back then, see. Great stuff. Now, so you started off as a guitar player, like you said, and you went on to play bass on, you know, a lot of the most famous records of all time. A lot of hits, right, uh-huh. A lot movies and TV shows, right, uh-huh. Have you got your guitar at the ready there, Carol? Because I'm, yeah, I do. I, I do. Well, here, um, uh, um, I mean, I don't play the, the, the acoustic guitar anymore like I used to, you know. Those are big, big guitars, and at my age, I'm not going to put my arm around something that big, you know. But, uh, you know, the, you, you went from this, let me switch the kettle here. He went from that, that kind of stuff. Uh, so forth, that, that kind of stuff too. So, uh, you know, at, at the, or doing this. because the rock and roll was a brand new music. And, and it was like, uh, holly, holly, gully, you know, and that kind of button, but, but it was a nice feel. And, and, and the singers could sing back then. It was a different time. And it was so fresh and everything. And once the jazz musicians got in the studio, most of us were, were jazz were from the big bands. You know, the, the horns were from the big bands. And you're in the studios and you're coming up with lines, you know, just like you do when you're playing a gig in jazz. You're coming up with quick lines to make it all sound good. It, it, it was kind of fun. You know, I, I enjoyed it. And the people were real nice and you didn't have drugs in the back room or anything or the drunks out front, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, 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 so the environment was real good. And we all did it on coffee. I still drink coffee, you know. <laughs> Excellent. How was that working back then, Carol? I'm interested to know this. No doubt it's completely different today but was it a musical director were you coming in at like nine o'clock in the morning and a musical director says right okay you're going to be playing on these records today or were you in to play on one specific song was it long 15 hours days you know talk us through that um it it, it, uh, it, it varied uh but when i first did, did my first record date i had no idea what it was like and i mean and so i went down to 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 radio recorders which was the the studio where they did the most dates at that time. And I met Sam Cooke, and, and, and then the fellow that hired me was Bums Blackwell, who, who, who was managing Little Richard at the time, and he produced the dates. On, uh, he already had a hit out on Sam Cooke, Darlene, you send me, that that was it. And then he said, well, play a fill on, on Summertime. So I just did this. <laughs> This is a simple little thing like that. He, he liked that, so that, that's what I did. I mean, he did have another guitar player to play with him, so I just did, did some fills and stuff. But uh, you, you're doing four or five tunes in three hours' time, see? Uh, uh, and, I mean, and it's union work. 
uh, but, but, uh, but the union doesn't get you the jobs. Your own claim gets you the jobs, see? And, and so I played on quite a few hits there for a while, and word got around town about this woman, I mean, guitar player. But it was no, no, no surprise back then, because there were a lot of women in jazz who worked with the men. I mean, that was no big, big deal, you know, about me being a woman. It's just that I was a guitar player that, that, that could play all styles of music, you know, and that's what I did. And the pay was really good. You know, I'd take off from the day job to go do some record dates for a while. I kept my day job for a while because I had a couple of kids and my mom to take care of, you know. So I went to work like that, and I, I, I still played my, my bebop gigs at night. And uh, uh, it's variable. They, they might book a date from 9 to 12 or from 2 to 5 or from 8 to 11. And then you have film calls in between. You know, you, you got film calls for, from 9 a.m. on. So sometimes it, it, it's an 8 o'clock call. And, and, and a lot of, it just got to be more and more work. Uh, and then when I played bass from 1963 on, uh, when, when I first recorded, it, it was about 1957 with Sam Cooke, and it was Richie Valens that uh, just a rhythm guitar. But you had to have perfect sense of time and everything, which you do in jazz. You know, the, the time was so important, you know, keep that beat. Like, um, you know, when you're playing that kind of music, your sense of time, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, has to be right there, see? So so they, they, they used the jazz players to cut the rock and roll, and it just grew, you know? And, and the singers could sing back then, you know? They didn't have to use the machines to keep them in tune and all that. Great stuff. Now, you also played, am I right in saying that you play the guitar on Can't Take My Eyes Off of You? Is that right? What, what, who, who did that? I forget who did that. It was, oh, who done it initially? No, there's probably bass on that. Oh, yeah. You, you play bass you, on you, You're talking about... I mean, the Letterman. It, it, it was a Letterman. Yeah, I played bass on that, though. Well, oh, that's amazing. From 63 on, they started hiring me on bass more and more. And then after about a few months, then I was number one call. They had to have me, you know. So I said, okay, this is easy. Four strings, I carry in one instrument, and I can play more lines. You know, I didn't have to play the rinky-dinky, this kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I tend to do that on guitar or the 12 string. That kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that, that uh, uh, rolling type of thing, like for the, the Sunny and Shared dates, that they wanted the electric 12 string fills, you know, because it kind of filled up the music, you know. So it's, it's 1963, you switched to bass. So is it possible for us to do right, that right now and get you to switch to bass sure, guitar? Sure, sure. Is- I mean, get it out. Um, but, but you have to understand that, that, that I, I, I did still do, do I mean, do some guitar gigs, though, because right. I, I'm very good on 12-string and all that kind of stuff, so they had to have that sound. And here you got, uh, uh, you know, I got on a date out at Capitol, I'm playing things like, uh, whoops. <laughs> See, so stuff like that to make a groove, but 
yeah, this is a lot more fun than playing the guitar. And I felt that bass roll on the bottom of the band, and, and it was the feeling that I felt comfortable with. I said, yeah, this is going to cook, you know. And and then the drummer I always worked with, too, what was Earl Palmer. And the minute we started playing together, I said, yeah, hell, this is great stuff. This is fun, you know. So we, we enjoyed working together you know for, for a lot of hits you know but uh, but i mean but for you you've lost that love and feeling like that i'm, I'm playing guitar on, on some of those things let me get, get back to guitar I'll show you a little bit of what i did on some of those hits see if i can get the balance just right here for you my for instance uh, is a key of d flat i can remember that that's all I play. I kind of glue the bass and the, and the uh, drum together. So forth. You know, so it was the feel because uh, on the Phil Spector dates at Gold Star, they had this echo. He started using the echo, and there was no way to control it, had it in the earphones. By the way, Phil Spector was the first one that used the earphones on the dates, you know. So, uh, you know, the bass player and the drummer couldn't keep the time together sometimes. So I'm saying, here it is, guys. Just trying to nail it down a little bit. And Bill heard it, but it, it, it's very subtle, but it's there, see? So it kind of helps with the groove, and in the middle, I'm going down with the bass player, see? Trying to keep that tempo up, because of the, you always lag when there's not too much weight in the music, see? So I, I was doing that then in, in the thing. And then uh, there was another tune I did, uh, uh, also in D flat, I can remember. But you get tired of doing this, uh, this kind of thing, like this all the time. You get kind of tired of that, so when I hit the bass, it was a lot of fun. Especially when I got on the Sunny and Share dates uh, playing bass. But I mean, the, but I wasn't on the Fender bass. I, I was on the uh, the Dano bass gu guitar, which some people call the Tic Tac, but we, we never heard that term. It was always called the Dano. You know, so uh, here's the way that the beat goes on sounded like. It was the key of that. Uh, and the bass player and I were playing the same part. And you, you had Sonny singing. Um, and la -di da 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 <laughs> da 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 well, somebody had to do something. I mean, it was one chord, and you had the singing, and nothing was going on, you know. So, I mean, Leon Russell was on the date. He tried a few lines, didn't work. But the third line I came up with was... And the beat goes on. And all of a sudden, the thing came alive, you know. So I thought, okay, bass. Bass line is very important to 
frame the song and the singer with, you know. And so, so I, I aim for, for that all the time, you know, and they, they want me to invent bass lines. So it was kind of fun there for a while, you know. But then you get kind of tired of these. You know, you get tired of doing that all the time. That bass still sounds so good today. Give us a wee second, Carol. We're just going to advertise some of our previous episodes. A lot of previous episodes for you guys to check out at scottcowie.com, Stitcher Radio and on iTunes. Episode 1 we had Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols, Episode 2 Hughie Morgan from the Funlum Criminals, 3 Sandy Tom, 4 Brian Ray from Paul McCartney's band, 5 Amazing Female Guitar Player Orianthe, Episode 6 we had Bob Jacobs who's the head spokesman of NASA, Episode 7, Dr. Phil Toll, Metallica's Therapist. 8, we had Graham Clark and Graham Duffy from Wet Wet Wet. Episode 9, Andy McKee. 10, Steve Craddock. 11, Cliff Goldmacher. 12, Steve White. Episode 13, Martin Taylor, MBE. Episode 14, we had Stuart Copeland. 15, Weasel Zappa. 16, Martin Harley. Episode 17, Julian Lennon. And of course, this episode right here, right now, Carol K. Go and check them out, scottcowie.com, iTunes, and of course, Stitcher Radio. Subscribe and tell a friend. Let them know what's going on over here at scottcowie.com, Stitcher, and of course, iTunes. So how did the Beach Boys session come about, Carol? Uh, well, you know, that, that's kind of a, a knockoff from, from the Phil Spector things, though, too. You know, I, I want to back up about Motown, because I've always pushed the fact that Jamerson did start Motown with his bass lines. I've talked about that at my seminars since, since 1969. I'm the only one that got him worked when he came out here, you know, stuff like that, because we all have high respect for him and the drummer, you yeah. know, because they, they started Motown. But, you know, it started happening when they went on the road, I think, with the groups, and then uh, and, and the writers even sued Motown for some of the stuff that we did out here, because... No one knew that, that that they were bringing some work out here for us, too. So, anyway, I just wanted, wanted to explain that a little bit. Okay, now, the Beach Boys, uh, that kind of started when we were all with Phil Spector and, and doing all those other pop dates, too. Uh, and, um, and so, by that time, I think I was doing bass, but... but but, but I did do guitar on one or two tracks, too, for the Beach Boys, you know. And, and it was no, no big deal because we were being hired by everybody back then. It wasn't just Brian Wilson and all that crowd. It, it, it was all, all the pop dates. I mean, studio musicians were hired independently. It was not ever a band. We, we were all separate, you know. Uh, there were about 350 to 400 studio musicians working Day and night back then, work just exploded in the 60s, whether it was record dates or movie calls or t- TV shows, you know, which were on film that, back then, too. So there were about 50 or 60 of us that, that, that were popularly hired on, on the record dates. And we, we were sometimes called the clique. That's the only name that we were known by was the clique. Uh, you know, outside of the, the studio musician tag. So anyway, so um, uh, Brian came along. I don't know how I got hired. It's just that they started calling me for, for the Brian Wilson dates. I said, okay, fine. You know, but we always thought that he, he, he had something special about him. When, when, when we worked for other young men, and 
there were quite a few that had talent. Jan of Jan and Dean was great. Um, uh, quite a few uh, uh, other young people that had talent, but not like Brian. Brian brought in his handwritten music, you know, and he didn't write it well. He, he sometimes put the flats and sharps on the wrong side of the stems and like that, you know, so sometimes we'd have to recopy re the music to make it readable, you know, but those were his notes and he knew it, okay? And and, and he was kind of special. He, he wasn't, uh, he, he, he wasn't arrogant or anything like that. You know, you, you didn't have the ego back then like you do now. Uh, we were there to work, you know, and he was there to, to, to start to produce the day. But like Phil Spector, he only did one tune per three-hour day. With Phil Spector, it just got like 30 or 35 takes. That was, I mean, ridiculous to do those many takes because we, we were great on the first two or three takes but they kept changing stuff in the booth so he'd do a lot of takes and so Brian kind of did that too he changed the music as he went along but he was special because there was something about this young man that, that, that was different to him Excellent, can you uh, take us through a couple of those famous bass lines uh, that you played on the, of course the Pet Sounds album Carol? Yeah, uh, well, there, there's the California girls, you know, the, uh, 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 let me start it over here. And then, well, then I'm, I'm a lot of tune, yeah, just a little bit out of tune, sorry. Okay. Okay, so you so you're doing this over and over, you know, that kind of thing. But that that to me made me think of another tune, and and probably Brian got the idea from that too. Cool, cool water had that same kind of a bass line, you know, to it, you know. But anyway, but he, he came up with the bass lines, you know, and uh, there's other things like uh, this is what I played off good vibrations. Probably making the strings rattle. I got it so low. A lot of people don't know, but when you're playing jazz, you get that same feel. So, so forth, see? So, that, that, that's that feel on, 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 on good vibration. For some reason, he, he did a lot of dates on that, and I don't know why. Uh, uh, I, I know on one day he, uh, he he asked me to use a fast home, so I used fast home on the whole day. When I heard the tape copy of it, I said, oh yeah, I, I, I can remember that. I had a little fuzz box there and put it on it. It sounded pretty good, you know. So anyway, it was the 12, 12 record dates that I did, and it was the, that's the hit. Because I, I'm not on the very first one, which was Scrap, the, the one was Ray Pullman, was done at Gold Star. You know, and it sounded good to me, but he, he decided to start it over at Western there, you know. So that's what happened there. So you, you got to help me, Rhonda. <laughs> You know, it's, it's 
crazy low, you know, just not, not to, for instance, when I'm playing other things like, uh, when I did the theme like for the Bill Cosby show, I just did no music thing, I had to invent it. And I had that ticking action of playing down on the downbeat and up on the upbeat. It worked real well, you know. So. Wow, that's absolutely brilliant, Carol. Now, it was clean. It was clean, see. So so it came out clean. On the, It's very important to have fine technique when you record. All the horn players were from the big band, so that they played clean, you know. You can't be sloppy when you're, when you're working in the studios, you know. That's what I'm saying, you know. Let's talk to us about your experience of playing with Frank Zappa. Uh, well, what it was was just, just some 12-string work, and I did some electric guitar work. I, I, I didn't play bass with him at all, and it's, it's parts of the first two or three albums with him that I did, you know. and he was a good guy. I, I could tell that he, he wasn't a druggie or anything like that, but very straight-ahead guy, and he played some wild, I mean, some wild guitar work, too, you know. He, but, very very easy guy to work for. You could tell that he 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 studied arranging and stuff like that, but he still wanted us to invent uh, music on top of the music that he wrote. You know, for for the specialties that we did. You know, and my, my specialty at the time was was the electric twelve uh, string fills. You know, I I I, I did a lot of uh, important dates doing those kind of things. You know, which was just. Excellent. It's, it's fascinating to, to know that you've played with everybody from Frank Sinatra uh, to Frank Zappa. So talking of Frank Sinatra, talk to us about your time with Frank and of course Nazi Sinatra. Yeah, well, well, the two of them, we, we got on this date. I did some, some single dates with him, you know, and, and you, you, as a jazz musician, you admire him, and he felt that, you know, he, 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 he probably didn't know the way I, I really could play jazz guitar, but he felt comfortable, you know, and, and it's business as usual. You cut the tape, and boom, you're gone, you know, that kind of thing, which is great. That's, that's the way that we like it, see, uh, to spend hours on a tune gets very boring after all. You're sitting there, uh, all, I mean, all the guys smoked. I, I, I'm i the only one that probably never smoked, see, because I, I never did smoke cigarettes or anything, but they did. They're sitting there smoking and drinking the coffee, trying to stay awake, see, because it, it gets pretty boring after a while. But, but, but with, um, uh, so, it, it, anyway, you're just sitting there uh, doing everything that they want you to do and, and staying away. But but occasionally you do get some one-liners in, you know, because, uh, I, mean, a pro, pro, I mean, a producer that doesn't know how to produce, you can kind of tell right away, they, we need to help them. So we help them get, get a good record in spite of it, you know. But so, so sometimes they'll say something like, add some more highs or add some bottom, you know, and so 
so one of us will reach back and pre pretend like we're turning a knob. We didn't turn a knob, and they go, "Hey, perfect!" <laughs> <laughs> See, so we, we 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 used to say that we would get them a hit, hit record in spite of themselves, you know, that kind of thing. But but they all learn from us, you know, because we 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 learned immediately how to create a hit record. It, it, you know, when you got good ears and you have the experience and everything, you you know what sells. You know, you can feel it when you play it. Excellent. And lastly, what Elvis Presley tracks did you play on? Because there's some sort of debate on the internet. I was trying to find out, so it's great to chat to you to find out, obviously, from yourself. Well, so, I mean, suspicious minds, yeah. I'm on the union contract for, for those things that I claim. I don't claim anything that I'm not on the contract for, you know. So the thing, but I do explain that there's about six other people that also claim that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It, 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 including one that was dead by that time. See, I, I'm sorry to say that, but it, that, that, that's how ri ridiculous some of this, these things get, you know. Oh, it's brilliant that you played in so many. If, if I didn't play on it, I, I back way down. In fact, people kept saying that, well, you're on the love dates. I said, I've never worked with love. I don't know who they are. Or anything. I kept denying it. I said, yes, you're on the love dates because they said so. I said, no, I'm not. You know? so, so they finally proved it to me. So I, I put it on the list. You know? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's I'm, I'm not going to claim anything that's not mine. No, I don't have to. You know, that oh, I know. I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's interesting thing because you've got it on your website. And there's other people who are claiming it's, it's crazy that other people are, are know, saying that they're doing it, but it, and it's ridiculous because everybody speaks with a different voice in music, and they should be happy with the way that they do. But I think the ego thing that started in the '70s started all this me, me, me business, you know. And and studio musicians never did get credits. It, it, we've been around since, since the 1920s, creating records and everything. We were happy to go down there, make the money, cut the music, go home to our kids, and not not have to deal with. It any of that other stuff, just, I mean, just collect or pay at the union, you know. Now, now I mean, now, I mentioned the union several times. The union did not get you jobs. You had to get, get your own work, and, and they had phone exchanges uh, that that you subscribed to, and they had, uh, there were three of them, and, and they had their own phones in every studio, and they they put a call out to you that so-and-so wants you to do a record date at such such a day and time, can you do it? And you either say yes or no, you know, or at, at times, you know, with, with, with the most uh, hottest players, then they say, please put a hold on that. They would book you ahead of the studio, even, just to get you, you know, because, uh, 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 because like film calls and like that, they, I mean, they, they book three or four weeks in advance, they, so you, you don't book something and then don't show up, you have to be there, see, you, I mean, reliability was the most important, and being on time was too, because they made a rule that any studio musician that was late had to pay for all the overtime. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Easy. yeah, it was that strong, you know. But but the union get that got you your pension. I have a little bit of a pension. It's a good pension. They didn't start the pension until about 1968. So that that didn't take care of all the record dates I did, you know, up to that. But it's okay, you know, because I get some reused money when they reuse it in movies and things like that. So it, it, it's good what the union does. It's just that they can't catch everybody, you know. So so we, 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 we don't get, except for about one-tenth of what, what uh, 
what, what we get because they don't have the manpower to police it all, you know. Great stuff. It's, it's such an interesting insight to that period, Carol. It really, really is. Now, you've influenced so many different musicians over the years. Um, perhaps I'm, I'm proud of that, too, because yeah. there's a lot learned from my books, and that, that's what I wrote the books for, was to pass along what, what I learned, you know, to, and, and it encouraged everybody to have careers. And, like, and I'm so proud of the people like Sting and like that. And, and I had no idea that Sting learned from my books, and Jocko, too, um, until Sting got on the Arsenio Hall show and talked about me. I was just blown away, and it was so nice. I spoke with him on the phone. Nice man, good man. I mean, he's for the environment and all that kind of stuff. I, 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 I love that in him, you know. And he's a good singer, too, and a good bass player. He, he laid it down, you know. So, yeah, that, that, that was part, part good. I, I met Jocko about 1978, and, and his record was just starting to hit Danny said, Carol, that's me. I said, oh, yeah, you sound good, Jocko. And he had the spunk that, like what I did. You know, I, I, I had a lot of spunk when I was younger, and I sensed that in him, too, you know, and, and, and it felt good, you know. And we, we talked about playing bass a while, and he, he said he studied out of my books at school there, you know, so I had no idea. Wow. It's wonderful, you know, because it's, it's great to know that so many have had, had careers because they learn from the baseline. I, I didn't want to write stupid books, you know. There's been a lot of dumb books out there, and that's, that's an insult to, to players, you know. You can learn very well with the hot lines that you're going to work with. And then um, Paul McCartney um, regards you as his favorite bass player. Isn't that which is, something? That's, yeah, that's amazing, I, I, isn't I'm it? Away. Well, most stars don't know about the, the the people in the studio. See, so he he had no clue about the studio musicians that were working over here. You know, so so it, it took him a little while to find out that Brian Wilson did not play bass on his records. That it was a blonde gal. You know, so yeah. <laughs> Part Scott and part English, you know, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll we'll hold on to the fact that you're you're pretty much Scottish. We're going to have that. I'm just going to convince I think myself. So yeah. I'm just I think you. So. You're Scottish. That's it. Well, that's uh, it's, it's it's solid now. <laughs> um, I, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. I got, got a little Irish in there though too. You know. So yeah, the, the humor. You know, because my my mom always had that Irish in her. So she was humorous. So. Carol, it's been an absolute pleasure, to say the least, chatting to you today. You have to play us out right now with a little bit of funky bass, if you could be so kind. Sure, sure. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But by the way, I want to talk about that lady stuff. You know, the musical note doesn't have a gender; it's not male or female. But I tell the women, you have to pull your own weight too. You can't expect the men to hold the door open for you or carry your instruments in for you. Do your own thing and don't think of yourself as a woman, but think of yourself as a as a player. You know, you you got to. That think that way. You can't. You can't be man and woman in the business. You know the men don't don't, don't think of themselves as oh, well, I'm a man in the music business. You know you, you're either a bass player or a guitar player. That that's it. Okay, I said my piece. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Scott. <laughs> nice to talk to you. By the way. 
Absolute privilege to sit and chat with Carol Kane to talk music, to talk her career and of course hear different examples of the bass lines and the guitar lines that she has made so famous. It's an incredible CV, an incredible resume and um, a very nice person too. Don't forget to check us out. We're on Stitcher Radio now, we're on iTunes too. Subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what we're doing over here and of course the central website to keep all my Twitter, Facebook updates together is scottcowie.com. Next week, we have a very special guest, Tommy Emanuel. If you remember Martin Taylor, when he was in this podcast, he said Tommy Emanuel was one of the best guitarists in the world. Andy McKee said he was the best guitarist in the world. Well, we cannot wait to get Tommy Emanuel on this podcast. scottcowie.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, download, review... Give us five stars, particularly on iTunes, and we will see you guys next week.